0: Well welcome back to the Magical Mystery Tour. My name is Drew. I'll be your tour guide today as we are exploring who do people think that Jesus really is. See the magnitude of the claims that the New Testament makes about Jesus and that Jesus makes about himself mean that we have to do something with Jesus. And so the world over and throughout history since the time of his life Different world religions, world views, philosophies have tried to figure out what do we do with a person like this who has affected history so greatly? Can we really take what the New Testament says about him? Can we really take what he said about himself? Uh, For example, in some Eastern religions, like Hinduism, they don't really want to accept everything that the New Testament might say, but they do like a lot of Jesus' teaching. It matches up with some of their own, and so... In Hinduism, some folks would say that Jesus is a guru. He's not God, but he is a guru of wisdom, perhaps one of the wisest gurus that may ever have lived. Or if we drive our bus over to the Middle East, boy, in the Middle East we got a few things going on, because Christianity is going to claim that Jesus is in fact God and that he proved it. While at the same time, if you look at Muslims from the Islamic faith, They're not going to call Jesus Allah. They're not going to say that he's God. They're going to say that some of the things he taught about himself simply weren't true. And yet, many of them claim that Jesus was a great prophet. But you can see a little bit of the problem with that. If the New Testament really made these claims, if Jesus really said he was God, how great of a prophet of Allah can he be if he claims that he is God himself? At the same time, in Israel, you have the Jewish people. Now, Jesus was a Jewish man, and when he came to the Jewish people, because he claimed to be God, they believed in the God of the Bible, that there was only one God, that he was so high above us that it was blasphemy for a human being to even pretend that they could approach God, let alone be God. And yet that's exactly what Jesus said, and so they came after his life. And yet today... 2000 years later after the impact that jesus has had people are still asking well then what do we do with him and so some jews will say well perhaps he was a good rabbi perhaps he was a great teacher maybe one of the greatest teachers but certainly not god but again you see how it's hard to fit those together and and for us in our culture we really have many of these things all kind of mixed together you know for a lot of us we like some of Jesus' teaching. We like the idea of, of love your neighbor and help each other out. And we want to latch on to some of those things, but we're not ready to say that he's really God. And maybe Jesus is all right, but I don't know if I can take everything that he said. But this morning, we're going to explore the magnitude of his claims. And the idea that if he really said those things about himself, then we have to do more with Jesus and just say he's all right. And so we're going to explore what the New Testament and Jesus say that he is. That's awesome, guys. So if we are going to explore who the New Testament and who Jesus say that he is, then right off the top, we want to get some of those claims out in front of us. What did Jesus claim about himself? What does the New Testament claim about him? So first of all, there's a claim that there was this man in Palestine, a human being who claimed to be God. Second, not only that, but there were witnesses, people who lived at the same time, who believed and witnessed that they saw him do miracles, that they saw him heal people, that that he walked on water, that he raised the dead, these kinds of things. Third, he convinced those closest to him that he was, in fact, God. The people who spent every moment of every day in his presence with an opportunity to see any mistake, any trip up that Jesus could have, he convinced those closest to him that he really was God as he said he was. Not only that, but it wasn't just those closest to him. Hundreds of people witnessed his resurrection and claimed to have seen the man Jesus who claimed to be God, who died also alive again enough people that if you lived at the time it would be easy to refute the claim not just hey i got this friend i you know i lost his phone number you can't call him you can't ask him but he told me that uh this thing with jesus happened now hundreds of people claim to have seen this thousands of people believed in their witness and ultimately the fifth thing is that people were willing to die to spread this news about jesus Jesus, who claimed that he was God, and so based on what he claimed, it can't be right to be just all right with Jesus. Is because if it's true what he claimed, if he really is God and the one who makes us right with God, well, then if it's not true, either it's just a legend, he's a liar, maybe he was crazy. But if it is true, then it changes everything for us it dramatically affects our lives think about it this way if somebody came to you later this week from the top law firm in all of cincinnati and told you that as it turns out you are actually descended from european royalty now you'd have to at least consider it right i I know we've all gotten that email like with the poor english and we're not listening to that but consider the source that it comes from. The top law firm, and said, would they really make that up? I better, I better at least call them back. Or maybe this one. The IRS contacts you. They say you owe $400,000 in back taxes. I don't, I don't think I do. But here's the thing. Because of the magnitude of the claim, it's not enough to doubt if I owe those taxes. I better know for sure. Whether I do or not. See, based on the magnitude of the claims that Jesus is making, if this is really what he said about himself, then it's not enough for us to doubt if he was God. If he's not, we better know for sure, or this dramatically affects not only our lives here, but potentially our eternity. Tim Keller tells a story about a time that he was on campus in the 70s, and they would set up different microphones around campus that people could come and have just public debate about things going on politically or things going on in the world around them. And so they would set up a microphone for kind of this open discussion. And behind one of those, one day he noticed that somebody had set a sign, a big sign, completely black, with the white letters on it that said, the resurrection of Jesus is intellectually credible and existentially satisfying. Basically saying it's true and it's relevant. Keller points out that those are really two tests that any worldview, any religion, would have to pass. Because if it's relevant, it, it helps me, it feels good, the, the teaching is applicable, I can use that, but it's not true. Then it's actually really dangerous, right? That, that's just a, a placebo. You know, if there's something really that's wrong in the world and we need help with it, and this makes us feel better but isn't really true, then do we really want that? It needs to be true and relevant, and that's what the New Testament and Jesus claim to be. So this morning, I want to look at three reasons why, based on what he claimed, it can't be right to be just all right with Jesus. Looking at the idea that he may be a legend, he may be a liar, he may be a lunatic, or he may, in fact, be Lord. So let's look at reason number one. If we're going to say that Jesus is a legend then we're saying that legends are just all right with me, but they don't make me right. Then I'm willing to accept Jesus as a legend, but not as the one who makes me right with God. Now, I like legends. These are great stories, things like Zorro, Atlantis, Robin Hood, or one of my personal favorites, Paul Bunyan. You know, I, I actually got to meet Paul Bunyan. I was a One of the greatest days of my young life. (laughs) We know these are legends, right? If you remember Paul Bunyan's story, he had a big blue ox named Babe, and the two of them were so huge that they went marching across the Minnesota wilderness and their footprints all across Minnesota filled up with water, and that's why it is now known as the land of 10,000 lakes. Well, my family and I vacation to Minnesota every single year. I I love it up there. We stay on one of those lakes. And so as a kid, I heard this legend, and I was like, well, that's how it happened. <laughs> you know, I just bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Not only that, it was affirmed for me because we went to like this Paul Bunyan theme park, where you can meet Paul Bunyan. And so they had what was probably like fifty feet, but it felt like a five hundred foot statue of Paul Bunyan, you know, with his red and black plaid shirt, holding a giant axe, big you know red hat, and the giant blue ox standing next to him, and and you get to go up and talk to Paul Bunyan. And so here I am. I don't even know how old I was, but, Hi, Paul! <laughs> and you just, you hear this booming voice come back. You'll have to speak up. I can't hear you all the way up here. I, I still to this day have no idea if that was prerecorded and he just says that to everybody no matter what they say. <laughs> but I, I tried to say it louder. I, I tried to talk to him. I thought we were really having a conversation. And I, I'm sorry, but it took me a couple years before like the second or third time I was there, it kind of hit me like this is a robot with a speaker in his mouth. <laughs> I am not actually talking to Paul Bunyan, and he is not real. And, and so here's the point. If Paul Bunyan is just a legend, I am not walking away from that theme park with any plans of basing the rest of my life or staking my eternity on a statue who can't really hear me that well. Right? If we're going to say that we like Jesus' teaching, but we think that most of the stuff about him was made up, then we're telling him he's a legend, and, and I don't know about you, but i don't want to base my life, my well-being, my family or even potentially my eternity on something that's made up. See, cuz that's one of the objections that we often have towards Jesus. You know that we look at the New Testament and we say this this kind of stuff it, it can't be true, can it? Certainly this is like the telephone game where there was somebody who lived, but as time passed, you know more and more people started telling more stories, adding more stories and we don't really know what's true anymore. It's all become Legend. But I can give you a few reasons that that doesn't hold water. One of those is that, quite simply, from the time Jesus lived to the time the New Testament was written, there was not enough time for it to become legend. Most of the New Testament was written within about 20 years of when Jesus was alive, some of it within two to three years. The idea being that many of the eyewitnesses were still there and could refute any of these stories. In fact, One answer is given by a scholar named A.N. Sherwin White. And in the interest of avoiding confirmation bias, I think it's important to note that White is not a Christian. But this is what he writes about the potential of Jesus being a legend. It says that using the writings of Herodias, Sherwin White maintained that it takes the passing of at least two generations before myths can develop, be introduced, and remain in the record of a historical figure. The idea being, within two generations, pretty much everybody who was actually there is dead. So if you make up a new story, nobody knows for sure. But this is what he says. When Sherwin White considers the New Testament Gospels, he says that for the Gospels to be fables, the rate of legendary accumulation would have to have been unbelievable. Not unlikely, but literally unbelievable, because they were written so close to the time that Jesus lived by eyewitnesses that if they weren't true nobody would have passed them on. That's why normally you wait till eyewitnesses are dead. Not only was there not enough time, but the New Testament is also not the right genre for Jesus to be legend. What I mean by that is that the Bible does not claim to be written as legend. It claims to be written as history. And so one of the things that we discover is that when we think of legends, when we think of fiction, when we look at the New Testament, there are too many people, places, names, details in stories that wouldn't have been included unless it was written as a historical document. C.S. Lewis, who is not only an author but a literary scholar, points out that what we think of as the modern novel didn't really exist until the 1800s. So when we read stories about Jesus in the New Testament, you know, and it tells us which part of a man's hand was hurt, which which part of that was healed where it tells us that as a woman who was caught in adultery approached him, he was drawing in the dirt. never tells us what he drew or why it was there, but it gives us that detail. That would not have existed in fiction of the time. Now, now we're used to that. You know, the fiction that we read today is called realistic fiction, realistic novel, where there's there's all kinds of details. The man came to the door. He turned the handle slowly, and he opened it just a crack as he waited to see if there was a light coming from within. This detail has nothing to do with, really, the plot. It just fleshes out the story. But at the time that the New Testament was written, those kinds of details were only included in history. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Either these accounts are reports of actual events, or else some unknown writer in the second century without known predecessors or successors, so nobody writing this way before or after him, suddenly anticipated the whole universe of our modern, novelistic, realistic narrative. Essentially, we have to take the New Testament as history because it claims to be history. We have to judge it by those standards. As Princeton professor Bruce Metzger points out, there really are no competent scholars today who deny the historicity of Jesus. Not only was there not enough time, not only is it not the right genre, but Jesus couldn't be a legend with these kinds of footnotes. If you look in Luke 24... There's a list of names of people who saw Jesus rise from the grave, who saw him after he had died and then come back to life. Now, Luke, who is writing this, was a doctor, a well-educated man, and somebody who actually says at the beginning of his book, I went through, I did all the research, I interviewed everybody because I wanted to make sure if we could really believe this or not. And so this is part of what he records about Jesus' resurrection. It says they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things about seeing Jesus to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. You see, in ancient history, names are like footnotes. This would be the resource that you could go to to find out if what's being reported is really true. And one of those I want to isolate there is Joanna. Luke says that Joanna saw this. So that you can go and ask Joanna, is that what really happened? Is that what you saw? That if there's anything he's making up, he's saying, I'm not making this up. You can ask Joanna herself. And again, this isn't just some random buddy of Luke's that none of us will ever find. In fact, Joanna was the wife of King Herod's chief financial officer, Chezzah. So this was a big name in the community, an important person that all of us would know and all of us would find, and who by having her name listed here puts a lot on the line if this isn't true. It would be like citing Warren Buffett's wife. It would be pretty easy to track Warren down, to track his wife down, to find out if they really saw something like this. You see, because Herod had billion-dollar projects that Chuzza would oversee— Some of his palaces were were the most magnificent things built in ancient history. And just one of them, for example, uh, the Herodian, is one that was built. But they wanted it on a mountain, and there was no mountain, so they literally built a man-made mountain to put his palace on top. A billion-dollar project by today's standards, and Chuzza would have overseen that. And Joanna, his wife, was a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. These kinds of footnotes give credibility to the fact that Jesus was not a legend. Some others appear in the book of Acts and the book of John. In in the book of Acts, Paul is speaking to a couple of people who would be essentially like Supreme Court justices today. And he says, I'm not mad, I'm not crazy, most noble Festus, Festus being one of these prominent figures. But I speak the words of truth and reason for the king before whom I also speak freely Knows these things for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner His point there is that everybody had heard about what happened Hundreds had seen jesus alive. These aren't things that he's making up It's not something that he went in the back room and wrote it down and and then tried to decide if it was believable enough for the king or not He's standing before the king saying you already know this You've already heard these things and so festus your friend who who may not believe me i gotta tell you festus i'm not crazy the king saw this too or in the book of john it mentions two men joseph of arimathea and nicodemus it says after this joseph of arimathea being a disciple of jesus but secretly for fear of the jews asked Pilate that he might take away the body of jesus and Pilate gave him permission so he came and took the body of jesus and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Now what's really interesting about these two men, about Joseph and Nicodemus, is it tells us here that, that Joseph came secretly because he had a fear of the Jews. It It tells us that Nicodemus first came to Jesus by night. And for whatever their reasons were, it may have been that that they feared repercussions if people found out that they bought in to who Jesus was. They needed to explore a little bit more first. But now, here they are. For all the world to see their names as footnotes in history, that they became so convinced that this man, this Jewish man that they met, whose teaching they heard, really was God, that they were willing to risk everything. See, Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. Other historical notes tell us that within his own financial estate, he could probably have sustained the city of Jerusalem by himself for ten years. And Nicodemus, in a similar way, was one of the greatest teachers that Israel had, and he did essentially lose everything because of his decision to follow Jesus, because he believed that Jesus really was who he claimed to be. Think about it this way. If Jesus was a legend, too many of these people would have been able to say, that didn't really happen. Now, I don't believe in him. I don't know why I put my name in there. I never saw that. I didn't take the body. I didn't see him alive. Right? But if it's true, then they would tell people and people could ask them questions. So think, for example, if, if I stood before you this morning and I said to you, Oh, I remember when the Berlin Wall came down. You remember that? You know, there was so much division between the country of Germany that that finally, by an act of God, a tornado came through and tore down the wall, reuniting the nation and bringing peace to the land. Every one of you in the room would be like, no, no it didn't. (laughs) Oh, uh, that's not what I meant. I meant um, aliens. The the good and wise aliens came from outer space to teach us peace and love, and they tore down the wall with their laser beams and rockets. That would not become legend at all. You would either think, I have a terrible sense of humor, or I'm a little bit crazy. (laughs) You wouldn't listen, and nobody would... Because that was only 30 years ago. I remember watching that on TV. I know how it happened, and so do you. It, It wouldn't become legend because there would be too many of us who could refute the claim. Well, so another option then, reason number two, if Jesus is not a legend, if he actually claimed this to be true, if history actually shows that the New Testament authors, that these New Testament witnesses and that Jesus himself believed these things, well, maybe he's just a liar then. We say, I like his teaching, I don't think he was true about these other things, even if he did say them, so I I guess liars are just all right with me, but they can't make me right. You see, that already sounds like it's falling apart, but but here's part of why. Because the ethic that Jesus had in his life and the ethic that he taught are too high of an ethic for Jesus to be a liar. In fact, many times we find ourselves critiquing Christianity. We find ourselves critiquing Christians because they just can't live up to the ethic that Jesus himself taught. And many times we find ourselves critiquing the church because it just doesn't quite accomplish everything that Jesus seemed to be teaching. And yet, for a lot of us, for many of us, we kind of like Jesus himself. We like a man who really stood by his convictions. And one way that Tim Keller puts it is that when we look at Jesus himself, when we let him speak for himself, we end up being surprised by his perfection, his tenderness without weakness, his strength without harshness, Humility without the slightest lack of confidence. Holiness, unbending conviction without lacking approachability. Power without insensitivity. Passion without prejudice. The harshest judgment on the self-satisfied, yet the most winsome kindness to the broken and the marginal. Never inconsistent. Never a false step. That's the kind of person we want to believe in. But if we take some of it, without taking all of it then essentially we're calling him a liar and then is he really worth listening to at all it reminds me of a a friend of mine he he and I talk regularly but a guy that I used to play basketball with and and one day as we were uh, as we're walking out of the gym um, it was a it was a church open gym and so I got to you know pray with the guys from time to time talk about the bible a little bit and I noticed that that my other friend James kept every time we would talk about this he would chime in and back me up but I knew that he was not a follower of Christ and so I, I couldn't figure out why was it that everything that I was saying Jesus would teach and so hey let's all live by it that he would he would chime in and and kind of back me up on those things and so finally one day as we're walking out of the gym I, I just kind of asked him about it and I discovered that this this weird synergy we had about the way that we thought it was good for young men to approach life was because, actually, yes, we were both basing it on the teaching of Jesus. The difference was that James did not believe that the Bible had really found God. He thought that the God of the Bible was not really God, that Jesus was not really God, that probably God was out there somewhere, but that in the meantime, Jesus had pretty much figured out good ways to live and good ways to treat each other. Now, when I think about that conversation, I have to ask myself, Kind of like basing my life on Paul Bunyan. If he's just a legend, I don't want to. And if I'm going to come to Jesus and say, love your neighbor, okay, love your enemy, I'll try. You're God, <laughs> you're a liar. But I sure will follow everything else you've said. <laughs> it just falls apart. Right? If he's If he's convincing people to follow this lie, how could we think that he has any kind of moral teaching to bring to us? Because he not only would have had to carry on the lie himself, but to convince his closest followers to carry on the lie, to steal the body, to make up these claims to deity, and to perpetuate that and to die for it. This is how C.S. Lewis writes about this conundrum. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be considered a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, what's happening here is that many world religions, many world philosophies can't deny the historicity of Jesus or the historical impact that he has had. And so they try to do something else with him and call him a teacher. But he hasn't left that option open to us, and those who were closest to him who believed what he taught weren't willing to take that option. And and that's really another reason against the idea that Jesus may have been a liar is that there were just too many martyrs. If Jesus was lying about this whole thing, and those closest to him had been convinced to carry out the lie, well, essentially, everyone closest to him died, was killed, for believing that Jesus was God. There are too many martyrs who would have given it up if this wasn't true, but Jesus was able to convince those closest to him that he was God. Now think about that for a second. Think about your family or your circle of friends. Pick one person that you feel like maybe you're closest to. Your sister, your brother, your best friend. What would that person have to do to convince you that they are God? I mean, is there even a list? Right, because when I think about the people closest to me, even even if I wanted to believe them, I've been around them too many times when, you know, that word slips out of their mouth. Or, I mean, for some of my buddies, they punch you when they get mad at you, (laughs) right? There's too many times that they were with him all the time, sleeping in the bed on the other side of the same room, walking with him every day, every chance to see Jesus slip up even once that would prove that he couldn't be God. And yet they were convinced that he was. And in fact, they would have been some of the hardest people to convince because in Eastern religions... Uh, take the emperor of Japan, for example. This was a man, and people believed he was also somehow a god. Uh, or even in the Greco-Roman world that Jesus lived in. Uh, the Caesar was a man, and yet they called him a god. Uh, those men kept dying. Those men stayed dead. But now here was a Jewish man. Well, Now, Jewish people did not believe that. There was one god, and it's not you. And here comes this man to a bunch of Jewish people and yet convinces them that he is not just a man in the flesh but he is God in the flesh he is the God man you see people who claim divinity and we and we see them from time to time right something shows up in the news about some weird cult in the middle of somewhere that some guy is claiming he's the messiah or that he's God but people who claim divinity have always been unable to convince more than a small group of probably unstable definitely disenfranchised people That anything they say is true. And it always falls apart either when they die or they're arrested or something else happens. But not Jesus. He convinced those closest to him that he died and he rose again. He convinced those closest to him that he was God and that through his death he was making them right with God. That through his death everything that they had ever done or could do could be forgiven through his blood. And they believed him. Not only did they, but hundreds, thousands of others who have spread this word throughout history. So if he's not a legend, he's not a liar. Well, the third reason is that perhaps, perhaps he was well-meaning, but he was just crazy. A lunatic is just all right with me. I could still take some of his teaching. But a lunatic doesn't make me right. Right. You see, so many places Jesus claims absolutely, let's call them remarkable things. Right? For a man to claim that he's God, for a man to claim that he can walk on water, right? for a man to claim that he can heal people, that he is from before time, right? these things are crazy. If I say those things to you, you know that I'm crazy, unless, well, unless it's true. Let me give you just a couple examples. Here's one about Jesus and lightning. There's a moment where Jesus sends out his followers to do some of his work. And when they come back, they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Like, Jesus, we saw some crazy things happen out there. And, and look at how Jesus responds. Oh, that's really interesting. I actually saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Okay, back that up. <laughs> He's saying that something the Bible records as happening before time began, that Jesus was standing there watching it happen. Now, if I came to you and said, oh, yeah, I remember uh, when Washington crossed the Delaware. I told George, you're going to make it. You'd say, no, you didn't. (laughs) And I don't have to listen to you anymore, (laughs) right? But if I came to you and said, oh, man, did you see the Cavs game the other day? I was watching that. 49 points in the first quarter, NBA record for the finals. Well, yeah, I was there. I was watching it. That's how jesus says this like he was just there watching the game the other day I saw satan fall like lightning from heaven But not only that Among all of these kinds of claims jesus is saying And yet even even with all of the wildness of some of the things that he that he held to be true That he taught to be true He tells them their greatest joy is not the fact that they overcome these kinds of things, but that their names are written in heaven Because if he is god if he makes us right with God, then the greatest gift that he gives us is not only the best of the life that we have now, but an eternal life with him. Because ultimately, Jesus claimed to be Lord. If you look at John chapter 8, the Jewish people are coming against him, seeing him as an enemy, and this is what it says. The Jews said to him, we were not born of fornication, implying that he was because uh, they thought that he was born out of wedlock from Mary. They say, we have one father, God. Now we know that you have a demon. All right, so they're calling him crazy. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead? Look how Jesus answered. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old yet. And have you seen Abraham? Now watch what Jesus says. Most assuredly. So whatever else happens after this, Let no one confuse you. Let no one trick you. Let nobody say that this was made up later. I'm telling you right now so you can know for certain what I am claiming to be true. Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You'll notice that's in all capitals. The reason for that is because the name that God gave his people in the Old Testament is Yahweh. Which means, I am. They would have recognized this right away, but the Jewish people were so careful with God's name that they actually made up a variation of it to use in common speech. Uh, They would call him Jehovah, the consonants from Yahweh with the vowels from another name, Adonai. They would combine the two rather than saying the name of God straight out same thing when they were writing it down. If they had to write the name of God, they would skip the vowels and they would use a completely different pen because this name is so holy that we can't write common words with the same pen that we write the name of God. And yet here stands this man in front of them and he says, I am. I am God. I am the one who was before Abraham, who was before time. I am the spark that set the universe in motion. I am am that is why based on what he claimed it can't be right to be just all right with jesus you see the magnitude of the claim means we can't afford to doubt if that's true we have to be willing to explore this claim to find out for sure most assuredly that Jesus is who He says He is, because we really only have a couple of options: either we fear Him and reject Him as a crazy zealot, or we love Him and respect Him as Lord. So let's go back to that song for a minute. That Jesus is just all right with me. It's catchy, it's groovy. I kind of like it. I think the Doobie Brothers version is, is the only one that I knew, but it actually wasn't written by the Doobie Brothers. In fact, it was recorded by the Birds before that on their album, Ballad of Easy Rider. But it wasn't actually written by the Birds either. And so I was discovering some of its history this week. It was actually written by a man named Arthur Reed Reynolds. And when he wrote it, he wrote it to be a song of worship. In fact, he was trying to use the vernacular of the day when saying all right really meant something like spectacular. Right, so... I'll do my best take at this. But something along the lines of, you know that Jesus? Man, he is just all right. Okay? All right, that's, that is the best that I can do, and we're not going to do that again. <laughs> but he recorded it with the Art Reynolds Singers. Any Art Reynolds Singers fans out here? Okay, so by the time the Doobie Brothers picked it up, they added a little bit to it. They added this line where the song slows down, and they say, Jesus, he's my friend. Jesus, he's my friend. He took me by the hand Far from this land, Jesus, he's my friend. You see, Jesus claims to be God, but he also wants to be our God, our friend, to help us make the music that we were designed for as we move from being the lead to taking the lead from somebody who is who he says he is. That if Jesus is who he says he is, he doesn't want us to just say he might be a teacher, he might be okay but he wants us to follow him. You see, I think for a lot of us, the idea of getting serious about Jesus means we fear that we will lose our edge, that we'll become some kind of weird version of ourselves. But the truth is that Jesus wants to make us the best version of ourselves, a version of ourselves where we not only can love and work with other people, but we can love and work with God. See, there's a difference between being the lead Bassist, vocalist, keys, guitar, and taking the lead from someone who helps us make music that brings out the best of everyone. God, we just ask that you would help us make the music that we are designed for as we move from being the lead to taking the lead from you. Hey, I want to thank you all for being here this week, and we will see you next week for Father's Day and more of the Magical Mystery Tour.